We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato on this beautiful Friday afternoon, closing in on the evening. If you hear a little bang, bang, bang in the microphone, Nick is getting work done on his house. They're on the roof. These people, though, let me just tell you something about these people. I like them. They're good guys. I saw them. I actually came over. We're recording this from Nick's place. And when I met them, I could tell they had an accent, which I'm all good with. They're Slo- and we talk little they're Slovakians. But Nick told me that. These people woke up, woke him up at 7.37 a.m. to start banging on the roof and working on the roof. Now, my question is this. Is it fair to come at 7.37 a.m. and just assume that everybody is on a set work schedule where you go to bed at 9 or 10 or 11 p.m. and you wake up at 6 a.m., 6.30? Because I know, based on my work schedule, every single night... I write a fantasy baseball newsletter that debuts the next morning, but I have to write it that night. And it's based on a podcast that doesn't air until 12.30 p.m. at some points and doesn't finish until 1.30 p.m. And so, a.m., sorry. And so I'm actually never able to get my work done before 2 a.m. on a weeknight. So if this were me and I was in this situation and I was going to sleep at 2, 2.30 a.m., and then you got to wind down a little, so I'm falling asleep at 2.30 a.m. At 7.37, I'm getting literally above, let's say, your room – bang, 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 they're hammering down on the roof. I just don't know that it's acceptable. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, obviously. I don't want my sleep to be disrupted that much. But I, Sleep I can, is huge. Oh, it's gigantic. I can operate on, on, on small amounts of sleep. So if, if it only lasts for, you know, three-day time period, which is what it should be according to them, then I'm okay with it. But it's not ideal. It's not ideal for my lifestyle because I also work very late. I know you do, and that's why I was a little concerned for you. I mean, listen, can you ask them – in, I don't know if you know any Slovakian. I don't know if you know any of that language because it didn't seem like they spoke much English from my brief conversation with them. It seemed like nice guys, but can you ask them, like, hey, can you come at 10.30? Hey, can you come at 11.30? How about 5 at p.m.? Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, just do it over a few more days. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling for you, man, because you look tired, and you actually don't look tired. You look actually like you're doing doing good somehow i mean just got done running a murph so yeah i can, so for me i can operate on small amounts of sleep but i can only do computer work i cannot do any physical work when i have small amounts of sleep i drink a pot of coffee and i feel like shit physically the whole day to the point <laughs> where like if i turn my head 
like one direction really fast, I'll feel it immediately. I'm like, okay, I can't do any physical labor. But speaking of you doing the Murph and doing your runs, we saw a great clip today from Pardon My Take, another podcast that one of my favorites actually with Big Cat and PMT, or sorry, PFT, commenter. And they had a Olympic US runner on and they asked him on the show, how much does running suck? And he said, basically, even when you get to my level, running still freaking sucks. It just sucks a little less. He's like, the only reason I do it is because it's the only sport I was ever good at. So it felt vindicated to hear from him <laughs> that running sucks. Hey, you know what? You got to take your wins when you get them. And it was I'll, a win. You know, sometimes when I'm on a long run, and I'll be like, you know what? This does suck. But then I just I just keep going. And at the end, you know, I'm usually, uh, usually happy at least – at least I think I am. Maybe I manipulate myself into happiness. I think it's a manipulation because I know during it, it is a grinding rule. <laughs> I mean, running outside is a little bit better than running on a treadmill. Running on a treadmill for me, it's like I'm at the 436 mark and I'm like, I feel like I've been on here for 50 minutes. And then sometimes I just so that's it. Cool down, done. I'm very visually stimulated, so I, I can't stand treadmills. Like I have to mm. see like cars going by, okay. people and like, you know, the atmosphere and stuff like that, mm. clouds. Uh, I, I really despise like running on a treadmill. But it is lighter on your knees yes this is what i hear but don't know from experience all right today we're going to talk updates from giants training camp again we're going to talk a lot about if we should be making i guess a big deal to a lot of things that have gone down there's some news that we want to talk about chain lemieux injury alfred morris resigning but we're going to also talk about in some ways at least you know what exactly it means when you read things like the offense is really struggling the offense looks terrible the offense is getting completely outplayed by the defense this at this stage of training camp because remember the giants don't have pads on yet they don't even have shorts and shells on yet they've basically are just these are glorified walkthroughs that are going on right now as they get ready but we're also going to talk about some other news tweets from the beats and then we're going to break down our favorite training camp battles that we're looking forward to most let's start with the news of the day and that's alfred morris re-signing nick so, Dan, I know you were really excited about this because Dan and I are hanging out today. He jumped for joy when he heard this news. Okay, so let me talk to Alfred Morris here because I did get a text from a friend, listener of the show, Jimbo from Cresco, my boy. I'll be hanging out with him in a couple weekends from now celebrating our friend Dan Egero's bachelor party in the birthplace of where this whole group friendship even started, Belmar, New Jersey. I can't believe I'm going to be going back to DJ's. I know I'm going oh, to be too, DJs. I know I'm going to be too old for DJs. I am excited to be too old for DJs, bar A, all of those things. Honestly, the best part of this bachelor party to me at this old age of mine, 32, now sounds like the last day where we're just going to be grilling and going to the beach. Like that's what I'm looking forward to the most. But at the same time, got to throw See, it back. Got to do the DJs. 32 isn't isn't that it. You know when when we were like in our early 20s, you go to the club and then you see that guy who is just way too old. Like he's yes. like 50 and it's like that soft like pathetic like, "Oh, wow, I really feel bad for this <laughs> yeah. dude needs to just let it go." 32 is not that, dude. You'll see. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll give you an update. But from what I hear from the scouts, I'll call them, the people who have already been there, because our friend Dan Egero is basically his favorite place, DJs, in the world. Literally his favorite place in the world. I'm actually convinced it is. Any, anywhere he's ever been. He was there. He was scouting it out. He was there a couple weekends ago. He was like, man, I felt old in there. I really felt old in there. It's crazy. So we'll see. It'll be fun. That'll probably add to the fun. But anyway, Jimbo Creskill texted me like, oh, the Giants really making you look stupid by signing out for Morris which I don't know if he was trolling, so kudos if you were, but they're not making you look stupid. Just because the Giants do something doesn't mean that they're right in doing it. I still think Alfred Morris 
is not a great player in the NFL. I like some things he did. The things he did well last year was no Garrett system and have his vision, and he doesn't have many wasted steps. Alfred Morris proved a lot to me. I actually thought he was going to be worse than what he was, but that doesn't mean he was good. He had no wasted movement, no wasted steps, decent vision in that system, did not create any yards by his own before contact, did not create any yards by his own after contact, though he had a little bit more after contact than I expected, and did not force any missed tackles, essentially. If you look at the advanced stats, they back that up. So Alfred Morris is not, and obviously he's a nothing in the receiving game, an absolute nothing, somebody you can't even have out there to threaten in the receiving game. And honestly, when he's on the field, it almost is tipping off that you're going to be running the football. So when you factor all that stuff in, the Giants didn't make me look stupid. What they did was resign a guy they're familiar with that Garrett loves, that they believe is a good locker room guy, and it's fine. But guess what? I don't even think he's going to make this roster, Nick, do you? I mean, they're still crowded at the running back position. Unless Saquon Barkley has a setback, I just don't see it happening with the Devontae Booker signing. Man, Dan, you really are overlooking that really impressive Colt McCoy Alfred Morris connection in that Seattle Seahawks game. What did they have a couple can they have a couple catches? <laughs> he had a touchdown. He had a, oh the, that yeah, the wide flat open yeah, flat yeah, route. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well. No, no, you're you're hundred percent right. And that was and, actually a great yeah. call by Garrett because he knew no one would be covering <laughs> Morris in the flat. Like who could ever think he's leaking out there? No, Dan, Dan, to Dan's credit, like he bashed the Alfred Morris signing, and then I don't we, deserve credit you know, for that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but to your credit, you came off it when we saw the all twenty-two. We're like, yo, yo, he doesn't have any wasted movements. Yeah. He does have solid vision. He's just not athletically as capable as a lot of other running backs that are out there. But he knows the system, so I can understand that. So I want to kind of give you your, uh, you know, give your due there because I think you do deserve that. But no, I don't ultimately think he's going to make the roster. I think it's going to be Devonte Booker, who they signed for a reason, and then I think Corey Clement. But I think you can bring him in here have him kind of get acclimated to training camp and if something happens to Saquon Barkley or Booker or Clement then you can bring him back because he knows this system really well and the Giants have a couple open roster spots at the moment right so why not bring back somebody that Garrett is very familiar with he's very familiar with his system and somebody that is reliable too he's not going to put the football on the ground he's going to pick you up your three yards but he's never going to hit any kind of home run or kind of create those explosive plays that dan and i always talk about how important they are he's not going to create those for you but he can just get you those tough three yards if he if you need him to yeah that's fair and listen he is somebody good to have at this time when there's still uncertainty surrounding the barkley situation Yes, yes. And uh, I, I ultimately, I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think Saquon Barkley will be out in week one. And we don't really have any inside information. No. I just think the Giants are being overly conservative with it. And uh, But again, Reichel Armstead was waived. You replace him with another running back. Mizell was waived. You placed him with mm. this running back in Alfred Morris. Yeah, so the other news is that take a deep breath. Thank the, uh, it depends if you believe in the Lord above. I don't know. It's up to you. But if you do believe in the Lord above, thank him tonight because Shane Lemieux appears to have avoided a serious injury. Joe Judd said Shane was already in his office asking when he can get back on the field. He called him one of the toughest players. This is exactly the type of player that Judge wants on the roster. Specifically, he said he hates being off the field so much and banged up like this. Joe Judge compared him to a wild animal caught in a bear trap. So the Giants will need 24 to 48 hours to nail down exactly the severity of the injury and what the timeline will look like. But at the very least, I feel confident in saying this doesn't appear to be a season-ending injury. Yeah, there were videos of him and Will Hernandez walking off the field because Shane Lemieux was out there uh, viewing the practice. He just wasn't participating in it. He seemed to be walking fine, if you can kind of glean anything from that. But this is great news. And again, this is Shane Lemieux we're talking about. Somebody who could be the biggest liability on this offensive line. But with, even with that, if he isn't there, I think the offensive line could take a significant step back because we're hoping that Shane Lemieux takes a significant step forward. Yeah, I 
I agree we're hoping that. I'm not as confident that Gene Lemieux will take that step forward as a pass protector. Mm-hmm. Having said that, he still is probably their best run-blocking option at that left guard position. So that adds some value. The run game, obviously, in my mind, about half as important as the pass game in general on a per-snap basis. Uh, obviously, the yards show that in the NFL. If you look at the advanced metrics, go by that. Uh, average passing play averages double the amount of yards that a run play averages in the NFL mm-hmm. across the board. Having said that, there's value in that. He's really good. He knows the second year in the system. Maybe he can improve in pass pro. But more importantly than any of that, the Giants didn't draft any depth behind him. There's no interesting, like, Trey Smith on this roster even, or not, like, you know, or like Aaron Banks ready to step in and you know, maybe claim that job immediately and run away with it. There's no one there. I mean, Zach Fulton, journeyman for the most part, had some okay years, was really bad last year. Kenny Wiggins, I don't know about that. I wouldn't call him an upgrade at any point to Shane Lemieux. So, Given their situation, this is really good news because they can't afford any injuries. It's absolutely all situational. And yeah. uh, another thing that I think is something that maybe we don't talk about enough is it did seem like down the stretch of the season that Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux kind of really helped uh, with their twist and stunt game. They seem to be really cohesive together and working together well, passing those off with their transitions. And that's a huge uh, difficulty to kind of develop as a young player, let alone with another young player. And they actually did that well uh, outside, I guess you could say, maybe uh, parts of the Arizona game. But even in Baltimore, in Baltimore, even in Baltimore, though, and yes, the Baltimore game wasn't great, but that was mainly on the right side where, where they really got yeah. out-schemed. So there were times where uh, Yanni Gingakwe was getting handled up the arc by Andrew Thomas, and there were times where there were some stunts and twists with Calais Campbell that were handled relatively well. But I saw a lot during the Browns game, Bengals game, and uh, games like that. So Hopefully that is something that Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux can kind of continue to grow with and uh, develop on because now you have Rob Sale coming in. And if you can't be a great pass protector in one-on-one and you allow your pass rushers to get hip-to-hip all the time, win that half-man relationship, Shane Lemieux, Shane Lemieux, then at least you can be good in the stunt-twist game passing off to Andrew Thomas and then receiving a penetrator coming in from like a five-technique position on the outside shoulder of the tackle. I think that's an excellent point, by the way. I think that's the best point of all this discussion because most of my concerns when it comes to Shane Lemieux and pass protection have to do with him in one-on-one but I think it's overlooked the improvement that he made with in conjunction Andrew Thomas on those twists and stunts and those are the type of games that a lot of coordinators are going to try to play with the Giants to try to get an edge and if you take him out and put in a Fulton or a Wiggins or sign someone off the street whatever it may be it's going to take time for those two, Thomas and that player, to develop a chemistry that him and Lemieux already have started to develop, have worked on develop, showed improvement developing. And so, again, I do worry about Lemieux, but mostly it's the one-on-one situations. And this isn't any kind of knock on Will Hernandez either, because last year it did seem like Lemieux and Andrew Thomas were a little bit better than Will Hernandez and Andrew Thomas in terms of handling the twists and stunts. But I also think that's because Andrew Thomas developed down the stretch of the season and he was better. And that kind of, uh, it makes Will Hernandez look bad when uh, juxtaposed, I guess, next to Shane Lemieux. But I think it's really just contingent. Or, or just based on the development of Andrew Thomas and the fact that Andrew Thomas later in the year played with Shane Lemieux and not Will Hernandez. Fair enough. I agree with you on that as well. One interesting note, according to Judge and the beat writers, all offensive linemen are wearing knee braces, though Lemieux was apparently wearing one as well when he got the injury. So the knee braces, they'll help potentially, but they're not you know, a foolproof plan to avoid types of injuries. But you will see the linemen wearing them. And this was kind of the first year I do remember all of the linemen wearing these knee braces. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Here's some other news from practice. The Giants have been focusing on more red zone drills and fundamentals with heavy emphasis on the fundamentals. And I think that this kind of works its way into a longer discussion that we're going to have right now. And probably the biggest point in my mind 
from training camp so far. And that's the fact that there has been a narrative shooting around Giants Twitter of panic because the offense is not playing well. Now, the offense is struggling specifically throughout the first few training band practices. Now, I tweeted, Nick, and I'm not sure. I don't know if you saw it or if you interacted with it, but I'm putting almost no weight on this for a multitude of reasons. But the main reason is there's no practices that matter yet. Are we cannot? These are glorified walkthroughs. We have to really keep in mind that until the pads go on, this really doesn't matter all that much. They're just trying to familiarize. Even Judge said it. We're just trying to familiarize these guys with the plays, with the with the motion, with the cadence, with things of that nature, with timing, with pace. This is not like when their pace is off, when your timing is off, which it will be at the beginning of this. Bad offense is going to happen. I even saw one of our uh, listeners tweeted at me. There's the same type of report coming right now from the Chiefs. Like, the Chiefs' offense is struggling right now. Okay, yes, you see early on in training camp, and this also is true and apparent early on in the preseason, the defense, and some people say this even bleeds into the NFL season, which a lot of people, I think it was Warren Sharp, likes to bet unders in the first four weeks of the NFL season because usually defenses are ahead of offenses at the beginning of training camp, the beginning of preseason, and then even at the beginning of the regular season. So one, defenses should be ahead of offenses. Two, we know that defenses have advantage have the advantage when you're doing red zone drills like we just read there's a heavy focus on fundamentals and red zone drills well yeah it's a lot easier to play defense in the red zone when you don't have to worry about over the top so with those two things combined i have no concern right now with the giants offense struggling quote unquote in these glorified walkthrough practices do you have any different opinion on this no absolutely you nailed it they're just getting through their basic installs and their basic plays and like you said getting familiarized with the timing cadence motion Jason Garrett motion. <laughs> no, but you, you 100% nailed everything you said. It's 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 easy to kind of pick on the Giants' offense right now, and rightfully so to an extent because they were you know inept in 2020, and this is a great headline and a great thing to kind of you know drive clicks and impressions and things right. like that. But I'm not worried about it because of everything you said. Now, if we're in the preseason and this continues, and we're in weeks into training camp and it still continues then i'll start being concerned but right now kenny galladay is this is and all these new pieces are learning jason garrett's right. offense everything's so new to these guys so let's take a back seat a little yeah, bit. yeah you nailed it and specifically speaking of kenny galladay there was also a play today where kenny galladay was apparently running across the middle and tj brunson leveled him to the point where nick gates had to get leave his spot, get up in the face of Brunson, and basically be like, "You're not doing that again." I love Nick Gates, man. I love Nick Gates, but I'll say this: Brunson, like in olden days, like you know, maybe even Coughlin. I don't even know. I'm sure this is maybe not be the case, so I shouldn't say in the Coughlin days or anything of that nature. But like, that's a, that would be a, if I was a coach, I'd be like, "That's a that's a, I walk into I'd be like, "TJ, come over here." You don't touch Galladay like that. Like Galladay to me is almost to the point where you need to put a red jersey on him. Like you don't, we don't need Galladay getting leveled in padless practices by T.J. Brunson, who's likely to not even make the make the roster in my mind. That's probably the reason why he did it. It's because he probably gave up a catch in his zone, was yep. pissed off, competitive, and then nailed Kenny Galladay and tried to force him to drop the football. I mean, I'm not speaking. Uh, I'm not uh, excusing T.J. Brunson by any means. You should not be doing that to your teammates, possibly causing injury to somebody that your team just invested that much money in during the offseason. But he's trying to earn a roster spot. Too. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with it. the competitive nature. There's a lot of juices flowing, a lot of testosterone out there. I get it. I mean, we saw a couple years ago, we were talking about this before the podcast, when uh, Damon Harrison, when he was still on the roster, got into a fight with Will Hernandez, and Hernandez like threw a helmet at him, or Harrison threw the helmet at him. I don't remember which way it was. Miles Garrett him. Yeah, exactly. Before it was a thing. Before it was a thing. Um, but 
you know, you'll see that from time to time, and it's fine. I just want it to be during the padded practices. I don't want it during these in, these basic walkthrough installs without pads on. It's too much of a risk. It's it, it's a dumb move by Brunson, but honestly, if you remember Brunson at South Carolina, he was that type of player who would deliver really, right. really hard, vicious type of hits. So it's not really that surprising. And with all this stuff, just remember, even like the offense narrative, the narrative of the offense struggling, yada yada. The beats have a job to do. Like they're literally paid to write about these practices, even though we know. And we're letting you know right now these practices are very overstated, very overstated. Like you have to understand if you were sitting there for the for the hour or two hours it was going on, you would understand it better. I've been there for some of these walkthrough type practices. There's much less going on than it seems, but they got to write a story, and I get that. And I used to be covering the Giants on the beat. I would have to write narratives based on it too, but we just need to keep it all in mind, like all these types of things. Let's not overreact to anything we hear just yet. Yeah, absolutely. And with that in mind, let's transition to the next segment of the show, which is Tweets from the Beat. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this one's just a follow-up on what we said before, but according to Patty Trena, Judge said they are requiring linemen to wear knee braces to help avoid injury, but adds that that based on Shane's injury, the brace would not have helped. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can really read into that. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing, this one's from Zach Blatt. He said, Joe Judge said, Kenny Galladay is so focused during meetings that it's like he's staring right through you. Giants Joe Judge said Galladay practices really hard, and the receivers around him have really benefited greatly from all their time working with Daniel Jones in the sprint. Shows leadership right there from Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay is a guy who got paid, right. and a lot of people just rest and say, you know what, I got my contract, Let's, I, I'll show up when I have to, but that's not what Kenny Galladay did. He said, yeah, I'll fly out to Arizona and play with you, Daniel Jones, and develop a rapport with you, and that's somebody, to me, at least that symbolizes somebody that wants to win an excellent point nick and i even thought i saw something either today or yesterday from galladay which is basically like yeah i like these competitive tough practices from judge i want I, this is this is me this is my mindset and i know that was the case when they met with galladay and decided to invest all this money in him they needed him to be another joe judge guy they're building a roster of these lemieux galladay types that really are so focused on being competitive and being the best they can at their craft and that leads to wins. That I really like about Judge. That's his prob- That's probably my favorite thing about Judge. I think some of the, you know, some of how he's been made out to be the greatest coach in the history of the world has been a, has been overstated. To be completely honest with you, like he won six games in his first season, four against quarterbacks who won't be starting in the NFL in twenty twenty one, but 
he's building something I think that can work if the talent part gets upgraded like he, he the talent still needs to be upgraded in my mind in some ways but if you upgrade the talent and you have the type of guys like this who are not only Joe Judge type guys like focused on winning focused on fitness but also have the talent to go along with it then you see real good results and that's uh goes to a team building philosophy where you're not just trying to add guys like Albert Hainsworth who have some good film and are going to be like just terrible in the locker room you want to add those right type of people but I do think it's funny because remember when Kenny Galladay was getting like recruited by the Giants a lot of people were like oh he's not gonna go to the Giants Joe Judge is a Bill Belichick disciple and so is Matt Patricia so that could never happen <laughs> you remember just like that's the a great point narratives that were de- being developed but that's a great point because he hate he and everyone there hated playing under Patricia, and a lot of people have used some of the things that Joe Judge has said or done that's made the media rounds to say this is just like a Patricia. This never works unless it's Belichick. The only one who's been able to make this work is Belichick. But clearly, that's not the case because a lot of these Giants players have really taken a personal relationship and a personal connection to Judge that Patricia just never made. So I think you have to uh, evaluate these Belichick coaching tree disciples individually instead of all grouping them together as everyone fails but Belichick out of that tree. That's what you should do with everything because then you got Brian Flores doing his own right. thing down in Florida and, and I mean it, it spreads off and Mike Rabel I don't believe he ever I don't think he ever coached under Belichick but he was a player under Belichick and he's obviously had a ton of success down there in Tennessee so I just think that, that was like a lazy analysis by like people who cover the NFL. Potentially yeah. Okay Zach Blatt said the Giants practice in Newark tomorrow but it's going to be more of a walkthrough community event on Saturday night and then a practice. He said there will be local high school teams in attendance as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a cool thing they're doing. Uh, that's another Joe Judge thing, I think. But I think most coaches do that in this area. Patty Trisha says, jo- Judge said John Ross has been very business-like in his approach to earning a roster spot, has done what's asked of him. Now, this is the second time we're mentioning Ross in a span of two days. Ross is a player I like a lot more than consensus. Ross is a player who was impressing on special teams his first days, both offensive and defensive special teams on both sides of the ball. I guess offensive team is not the right way to say that, but both ways of special teams. And you even mentioned that you saw a clip of him making an in-breaking route where he got really quickly, smoothly, and explosively in and out of his break. I think this is a steady drumbeat starting to build for Ross. I know. And uh, like we said on um, yesterday's or two days ago, whenever we're going to post this, that podcast, uh, John Ross, Dante Pettis, and it's something we'll probably talk about in a little bit, like, I would rather see John Ross on this roster because he owns that just incredible speed, has that high draft pedigree of being a top 10 pick, which at that time I thought was an incredible reach because he has a lot of injury issues and he struggles with drops and that carried into his time in Cincinnati. But if he's going to be the fourth or fifth guy you're relying on, I'll, I'll, I'll take that game-breaking speed and explosiveness any day of the week. You're damn right, Nick, and so will I. I. I think I might be getting too excited on Ross because he still is John Ross. Let's keep this in mind. He's had a long time in the NFL so far without making an impact. Typically, that doesn't lead to breakout. But I don't know if I'm expecting a breakout. Just No, no. Just somebody who can be add another dimension, I guess. He's a role this. player. Yes, and that's fair. You need good role players. All right, Pat Leonard said, Lorenzo Carter was on the bike after seemingly tweaking something in his lower body during yesterday's practice. And rookie edge, Ellison Smith, unknown, according to Leonard. O'Shane is imminent, hamstring. They haven't even taken a snap yet in camp. He said the Giants are really short on linebackers right now with Blake Martinez on COVID, Reggie Racklin on the NFI. What do you make of this? I mean, Carter Coughlin, step up, man. (laughs) This is great for Carter Coughlin and Tay Crowder to earn early reps. And again, they're not hitting or doing any of those things. But if Carter Coughlin just 
send the vibe to the coaching staff that he's very comfortable in the position of playing linebacker that could ultimately lead to him actually making this roster because the Giants will be confident enough to put him there in a pinch if he has to which they were confident enough to do that with him as an edge uh, because the Giants were decimated last year at the edge position and I know Carter Coughlin was an edge at the University of Minnesota but not a lot of people thought the seventh round pick would end up earning a significant complement of snaps like he did last year similar to Cam Brown but I do believe Cam Brown has more special teams upside than Carter Coughlin so if Carter Coughlin can show that he's comfortable that's going to be good for him and he has an opportunity to do that early in training camp with all of these absences you nailed it Nick I think that the Coughlin thing is interesting it's going to be something to monitor all offseason all training camp all preseason because if they do and there hasn't been any confirmation just yet that they are making this full-time transition for him to the inside it's just a little bit of speculation based on some of the ways he's lined up so far but if they are making that transition for Coughlin that's another guy I kind of have a little bit of hope for just because I mean I still feel like behind Blake Martinez I don't have good certainty in that inside group I'm not as high on Tay as a lot of other people are I'm hopeful about Tay Crowder but when I watched through the film, I just didn't see the same spark that some of other, you know, I wouldn't say it's some of the beat writers because no, I don't think really anyone's breaking down the film except for us and Talking Giants and a couple others that don't have a good job, <laughs> don't do the best job of doing it. <laughs> but most of the beat isn't watching film. But I just feel like a lot of it was some of the being in the right spot at the right time, which is is in some way a value. I guess that's it like is, it a is. skill set in some regard, but it seems a little more uh, variance. There's more variance involved in it. So we'll see with Crowder. I'm still hopeful that Coughlin can maybe carve out some snaps there. I think the interesting thing about Crowder is he was Mr. Irrelevant, and he showed that he was somebody that can play in the NFL on a solid defense. Now, the argument is, can you upgrade from that? And yes, you can, but this is also a kid who was a rookie going into his second year. Now, can he grow, and can that development become linear and that trajectory go up? And that's something that we will have to see in the coming weeks and early on in the NFL season. That's totally fair, and I agree with you on that. All right, let's... Now break into some camp battles that we're most looking forward to when the pads go on, by the way, because I don't really care about these battles at all until the pads go on, because that's when we're going to start to really see things matter. I'll start with the one, actually, you start with the one that that you're most looking forward to, Nick. So the one that I've been talking about basically since the draft has been Darnay Holmes and Aaron Robinson. And I've said this several times, I believe they'll both earn snaps, but ultimately one is probably going to play more than the other because you can only play 11 guys on the damn football field at once unfortunately right now robinson is on the pup the pup list hopefully he becomes uh, off of that because i do believe robinson may offer some sort of upgrade or just allow patrick graham to do more things than possibly darnay holmes who i do feel like is a little bit more of just a slot player i think robinson can be a slot and i think he can do a lot of other different things but holmes if he really shows out if he really balls out which he's fully capable of doing because i do think darnay holmes is a bit underrated i think he has really good man coverage skills now he made some mistakes but it was rookie year lined up in the slot that is not an easy assignment to have but i am ultimately end of the day really interested in that matchup specifically and since the draft that's the one that really kind of popped into my mind yeah that one is going to be interesting because i think it was a big blue banter listener who reached out to me via dm who was like this aaron robinson injury might be a little bit more serious than it's been speculated on or been reported on just yet and if it takes more time for robinson to eventually get on the field it's definitely gonna hurt him. It, it like there's no doubt about it, it's gonna hurt him in in just in the sense of if he can win that job 100%, for week one. Yeah, hundred percent. Because Holmes hit the ground running last year when it comes to winning that job right away. I mean, he was there for day one of training camp, and it was a different COVID shortened camp type thing. But they knew Holmes could play right away, and I'm not saying they won't know that with Robinson. But if that injury does tend to linger, I think they'll feel more comfortable 
having Holmes out there in a defense that does rely on communication. Speaking of injuries and, and things of that nature, we had Victor reach out to us on Twitter, one of our listeners, and uh, talk about Blake Martinez and how he's on the COVID list and how a lot of these, and then Blake Martinez isn't 300 pounds, but a lot of these bigger type of athletes, some of them had adverse effects, and maybe we should be looking into that. And Dan and I, we're not 100% certain if Blake Martinez was a close contact or he actually has the virus, but I do believe that was actually a pretty astute observation from Victor. That was an excellent observation because I think I mentioned it a few podcast, long time ago on this podcast, earlier in the off season, but my uncle is a doctor and he has done a lot of you know he's been following the research on this and there is something called the long haul effect it doesn't affect everybody it tends to affect people more who are considered you know obese by the bmi standards and by you know the normal standards now that is different for everyone and technically all offensive linemen and all defensive linemen on this roster would probably be considered in that range even though they're not obviously they're athletes and they're big for a reason but Blake Martinez might even consider that range at his weight, just by the standard. And so the long-haul effect has affected some people. Obviously, COVID is now kind of back in the mix with the Delta variant kind of running through. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I hope that you're right and it's not a situation. Because, I mean, there's no evidence to suggest this is definitely the case. But Matt Parrott wasn't as good, didn't look as good after coming back from COVID. And Will Hernandez did not look as good after coming back from COVID. It looked like they clearly were worse players production-wise before and after COVID. So if it does affect Martinez, it's, it's not good because as Victor said, and I agree with him, I mean, it's close for me between Mar- Martinez and Bradbury. And I think Bradbury is probably, I mean, definitely the better player, but the Giants just don't have any depth on the inside, really at all, especially if Reggie Ragland is going to take some time to get back into the mix. Like, I could almost feel like I'd feel more comfortable with Reggie Ragland there in the middle if Blake Martinez can't play than I would be with Tay Crowder, to be completely honest with you. I would agree with you, and, and we've talked about this kind of a lot in the last couple podcasts. Without Blake Martinez, or if he is really struggling, and we're not saying that's happening, we don't even know if he has the virus, so let's sure. be clear about that. But without him there, without Ragland there, to, like... We're talking about Tay Crowder, Devontae Downs, TJ Brunson, and possibly Carter Coughlin, who's transitioning from edge. Like, that is not good. It's yeah. <laughs> not good at all. And I don't know what they're going to do to address this, if they're going to work out guys. The fa- I'll say this, though. I read that the Giants worked out an interior offensive lineman today. I am, for the quick second blanking on his name, I will get it for you right now. Evan Baum. Evan Baum, the Giants worked out today. So... Probably nothing, but the point is, the fact that they're not, and that was after the Shane Lemieux injury news, the fact that they're not even working out inside backers right now, it's probably a good sign that Martinez isn't in this for the long haul and maybe maybe it was just a close contact type case. That's also speculation, of course, as well. But, but yeah, I, I think that could definitely be the case. But they did work out Todd Davis. Oh, you're right. They did work but out Todd Davis. That could be because of Reggie Ragland, though. That could be because of Reggie Ragland, though. That's true. It's hard to say if that was because of Ragland or it was because of Martinez regardless the situation here is that the giants don't have much depth on the inside and you know they can't really afford these types of uh situations so hopefully he's back soon and the thing about uh evan Baum, he is a 27 year old guard who was recently on the bills doesn't have all that many snaps so just something they'll kind of look into yeah evan Baum. we'll see what happens there all right the next camp battle i want to talk about the one i'm most excited about isn't even really a camp battle quote unquote For me, it's going to be who earns the most snaps out of the following players. Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Kadarius Toney, and Sterling Shepard. That's five players 
and only three can be on the field of those five at the same time. Now, that's making the assumption that Galladay will be on the field for close to 100% of the snaps, as he should be. The offense will funnel through him. Jason Garrett's offense relies on a big X. That makes the assumption that there will always be a running back on the field. That may or may not be the case. There may be some snaps where they take off Barkley or Booker for Kadarius Toney. They did that last year. Yeah, they, it's occasional. But... Whether they're running 12 personnel, which means two tight ends and two receivers, or 11 personnel, which means three receivers and one tight end, and I really hope they're running a lot more 11 personnel this year. I know Jason Garrett's thing is to put 12 personnel on the field. I used to be a bigger proponent of 12 than I am now. I just don't find as much of a place for it in the NFL, and I'm okay mixing it in. I don't Again, I don't want to go back to the Ben McAdoo days of 93% 11 personnel. Nobody wants that. Nobody's calling for that, but I just want it to be a heavy weight towards having the three receivers on the field because having Kadarius Tony on the field versus having Kyle Rudolph on the field to me makes a massive difference. Having Kadarius Tony on the field versus having, I don't know, Caden Smith on the field makes a big difference. Having even Sterling Shepard, if you're not going to put Tony on the field, or Terry Slayton, if Shepard is lined up on the outside instead of one of those tight ends, and I even include Ingram in that because Ingram is not a great route runner, Ingram does not have natural hands. So to me, you got to get more 11 on the field. But the battle for me, the question for me, well, who's going to get these snaps? How are they going to get these snaps? Like right now, we talked about it yesterday. Darius Slayton is matching up against Dory Jackson. Is that going to hurt Sterling Shepard? Is that going to take away from Shepard being on the outside? And then, you know, in 12 personnel, are they going to have Ingram, Rudolph, Slayton, and Galladay? And things of that nature. So in your mind right now, how do you think that's going to shake out? Honestly, I'm not 100% certain. I think if Kyle Rudolph, though... He's 100% healthy. He's going to be a bigger part of this offense than I feel like a lot of other people believe he will. And this is somebody who's been in the league since, what, like 2011, I believe. He's been he's a consummate professional. He's going to learn Jason Garrett's playbook. And I feel like his skill set, as we've said several times in this podcast, is a much... Uh, is a much better fit for Jason. what Jason Garrett wants out of the wide tight end. And traditionally, a wide tight end is a tight end that lines up on the line of scrimmage. He can be a little bit more of a blocker, but he can still release and, and run crisp routes, which are all things that Jason Witten did, and it's all things that Kyle Rudolph can do a lot better than Evan Ingram. And that can lead to Evan Ingram being a little bit more off the line of scrimmage, maybe separate him off the line of scrimmage by about three yards, try to get him matched up against a... Uh, a a Sam linebacker or something like that and kind of utilize that matchup when you're going up against a nickel personnel package. There's a lot of different things you could do with Evan Ingram. A lot of Giant fans don't want to hear it and they really don't. And I've been really hard on Evan Ingram. You've given me crap for it before because he deserves he deserves it because he has made so many mistakes but he's still a talented football player He's or he's still a talented athlete who, who can help you. You just can't run your entire offense through him like they attempted to do last year when Saquon Barkley was injured. Sterling Shepard was injured, dinged up for a lot of the year and then Darius Slayton was just kind of not the ex that Kenny Galladay is going to be in Jason Garrett's offense so I think Kyle Rudolph could end up earning more snaps than people are imagining but when it comes to percentages man I think that's that's difficult I'm really interesting to see it's a good problem to have I'm interested to see what Garrett does but I don't really have a strong opinion either way right now yeah I don't have a strong opinion yet but I do think what you said makes a lot of sense like I completely agree we're gonna see a lot more Kyle Rudolph than people expect and we almost should be seeing a lot more Kyle Rudolph than people expect if he's he's a much if he's healthy because he's a much better fit for this offense than Evan Ingram but what that leads me to believe is it's a good problem to have because again I think this problem might work itself out with injuries unfortunately it's just the nature of the NFL I don't think that they're gonna have all what did I say eight of these guys healthy for is it eight for five spot or no no, five for three spots I don't think they're gonna have all five of these guys healthy and then that also doesn't even factor in Galladay so six guys healthy for three spots I'm not so sure that's going to be the case but if they are all healthy 
I hate to say it, but I have a good strong feeling that we're going to get through times of this season where the offense looks awful. And we're like, why is Evan Ingram playing so many more snaps than Kadarius Tony? Why is Evan Ingram playing so many snaps than Sterling Shepard? Why is Evan Ingram playing so many more snaps than Darius Slayton? Because we're not going to be asking that question about Rudolph, who's faced, you know, who's really consistently in my mind producing in a specific role, that wide tight end role that in Garrett's offense. But if Evan Ingram is matched up, like you said, detached, he's not really adding too much as a blocker, and he's not winning these matchups one-on-one that it looks like he should on paper, but he just doesn't make the right cuts to the 90-degree cuts you need to make those, or he does make it, or he does run a drag, which is easy for him. He can run those drags well, but he doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't look the ball in, or he makes a tipped catch and slows the momentum down doesn't have any yak well i'm gonna be wondering i already have a feeling why the hell he's getting all these snaps and it you know it's a good thing because the injuries will come but it's a bad thing in the sense that why didn't they trade ingram because he might you know he might kind of because he has the name right and he has the work ethic and they love him on this team so i don't think they're going to phase him out of the offense and then it's almost like do we want him getting those snaps over slayton shepherd or Tony and I'm just not so sure the answer is yes. I I actually agree with that. And when I when I was talking about Evan Ingram and how he can provide value, it was in a more judicious role. Like you don't have to play him 60 70% of the snaps. You can play right. him you know, 25, 30% of the snaps, pick your spots with him. And I'm not saying that's going to happen all the time or it should happen all the time. I think he could play, you know, 50 plus percent of snaps and that would be fine, but it shouldn't just be consistently, especially at the expense of a Darius Tony, uh, Sterling Shepard, a Darius Slayton. And I think another interesting part of all this too, this conversation, I know we got a little sidetracked, but I do believe it's important is that GF counterplay that we talked about last podcast, you know, call it counter trade, call it whatever you, uh, you want to call it, but it's a GF counter, it's the backside guard pulls, it's when the sniffer or the tracer, whatever you want to call him, the H-back, when he pulls and he locates, he, the backside guard kicks out the end man on line of scrimmage, the, the sniffer, if you want, which is Caden Smith, goes right into the hole and eliminates the linebacker or the alley defender, whoever's coming down, that's Caden Smith's role. Right. Now, if you're in 12 personnel and you want to run that play that you love to run, that GF counter... Are you gonna put Evan Ingram there, or are you I gonna? I think it put, could be Rudolph, but it could be Rudolph. Yeah, but then you're also. Well, then what are you gonna do? You I would Evan like Ingram to have Smith as, that, as the Y. Then see, it depends. If you have the Y to the front side of the play, mm-hmm. and you're going up against a five technique, then you can have Evan Ingram, who's going to double team with Andrew Thomas, more than likely to kind of right. crash and wash that defender down the line of scrimmage, but I just don't want them to tip their plays when they're using their personnel with Evan Ingram and Caden Smith, if Caden Smith is still going to play a solid amount of snaps because they liked what he offered there. Or are they going to put Colin Gillespie there? Or is it going to be Elijah Penny who also showed the ability to do that? And it's crazy to say, and this is, again, a good problem to have. There's a lot of skill players for only a few spots. But, you know, if you look at the film last year and you really think about it from a 30,000-foot view, you could probably make the case that on a per-snap basis, Caden Smith offered more than Evan Ingram last season. It's it's a wild it's a wild uh, observation and not in a bad way because no because Caden yeah, was good yeah but like you look at the stat sheet and it's like oh this guy didn't like do anything he, like, he had all these snaps what was he doing but his role was imperative to what Jason Garrett wanted to do and he did it really well and this is somebody who the year prior was a was what a six round pick by Kyle Shanahan and then the Giants ended up scooping him up he showed a lot of receiving skills in 2019 and then last year they barely used him but they uh, as a receiver but they used him a lot in the run game and he was really really effective and if the offense is going to run the way we expect it and that means through Kenny Galladay and through Saquon Barkley that's how this offense is projected to run that's how we expect it that's how we should run if it runs through those two players there's really even less of a need of having Evan Ingram on the on the field 
because the offense is not needing him for to be the skill guy that makes the plays and then he's just not offering much as a blocker and he's just not offering that much out there unless you're doing what you should do with him which is kind of just run him on streaks and use him to open up as the knife in the defense just shoot him down that seam or shoot him on a drag across to you know to the sideline for nothing open nothing open all right I can just check down on this drag to Ingram and maybe he can make a play after the catch of that second gear but if you're going to use him like the Giants used him last year on a lot of these stop routes and these curl routes and routes that break back toward line of scrimmage that's I wouldn't I just don't see any value in having him run those routes when you when it means you're taking off Caden Smith or when it means you're taking off any of the three receivers yes and I also think he can like be pretty solid in smash concepts which is yeah oh yeah smash concept is when you run a seven route from the number two wide receiver spot and then the number one wide receiver spot runs like a three yard hitch kind of sucks that cornerback up towards the hitch opening up a void in the honey hole between the safety and the cornerback and then you just run towards the flag towards the sideline yeah it's a basically like Seven another it's, it's almost like a slot vertical in in a lot of ways well yeah you're running up but then you're breaking towards the sideline yeah it's not straight up but it's a vertical base route yeah it's a little bit it's not like by the line of scrimmage yeah not by the line of scrimmage exactly but still something we and we saw that work a lot by the way with ben mcadoo in the early days of evan ingram they did a good job of using the smash concept um with ingram and sometimes finding some success there but Again, it has it wasn't a factor much in Jason Garrett's offense, really. We saw it a couple times that that I remember just yeah. off the top of my head, but yeah. he was best used on those deep crossers, honestly, which I don't mind them using him for again. The deep crossers, I mean, and he was also just a distraction, and right? Like, that's well, what, yeah. Because anytime he can kind of distract that safety, then there could slip a slot you know vert. a poco route or something, or um, I guess you could say a cop route, a corner post, or a slot vert behind that safety, and then create a one-on-one matchup with inside leverage that would always uh you know benefit the Giants. Yeah, and Daniel Jones throws a really really pretty solid ball on those you know, one-on-one back shoulder type slot verts. We saw it with Golden Tate. Those were some of their biggest plays all season. And then even with Dante Pettis down the stretch, one of the biggest, they didn't have many explosive plays (laughs) last year, but when they did have explosive plays, it did come a lot on those slot verts. So the wide receiver situation and in general, just the skill player situation, who's going to play when is probably to me the most interesting thing going on in camp. What would be your next battle you're most looking forward to? This guy's on the pup too, so I'm just bringing up like all these injured guys. But uh, Matt Parrott versus Nate Solder. So hopefully Matt Parrott can get back from that back injury. That's something that I'm um, obviously, we're, we're all as Giants fans really hoping for. I don't think this would be necessarily that tight of a battle unless Matt Parrott really fell on his face. Sure. That would be the only reason why I think this would be a battle. I think the Giants, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, everyone wants Matt Parrott to win this starting job. So unless he really flops, then I think it's his. But I still think it's something just to monitor because we haven't seen the consistency from Matt Parrott yet. And he's starting on the pub. I think that's all fair. Starting on the pub, back injuries tend to linger. And Nate Solder, at the very least, has put good film, good NFL film on, you know, or sorry, good NFL snaps on film throughout his career. And obviously not recently, but he has that against NFL competition, against NFL defensive ends. Parrott doesn't have that. Not yet. I mean, he didn't play much. He didn't have an opportunity to do it much, but he doesn't have a strong, consistent base of it. Now, Solder's older. Maybe he's not the same player he was, but he has at least proven that he can do it at the NFL level. So it's not as, you know, you went, we went into this like, eh, it's Pat Parrott's job to lose. That may not be the case. That may be what we want to happen. That may be what we think will happen. But it's not, it's not a guarantee, especially if that back injury does linger. So that's one to keep an eye on as well. What else are you looking at specifically? 
I think we also have, um, and I don't really think this one's as much going to be a competition because I think their roles will be very different, but there's still only a you know certain amount of snaps to go around. So I think the snaps, I'm going to exclude BJ Hill from this okay, and just say Danny Shelton and Austin Johnson. So I think Austin Johnson is going to be that early down guy, tight front. He's always going to be the zero. He's always going to be the nose technique lined up directly over the center, smelling the breath of the center, and just controlling the A-gaps. And I love every second of that. But when you start getting creative, second and intermediate, Giants like to sometimes employ, you know, two down linemen, uh, maybe sometimes a two-eye technique and a four-eye. They, they do a bunch of different things, and you will have Leonard Williams, and you have Dexter Lawrence. Sometimes they like to spell them. Mm. Those guys will be on the sidelines. Not as much Leonard, but Dexter, definitely. Now, you have B.J. Hill. Are you going to line up with Danny Shelton in that situation or Austin Johnson? Or will it be uh, situational? Well, uh, I'm a little curious about that. I think in passing situations, it's safe to say you would more than likely go with Austin Johnson, who profiles maybe a little bit more as a pass rusher. But still, he's not dynamic in uh, in that way either. Yeah, you nailed it. It's going to be interesting to see how all this rotation shakes out with no Dalvin Tomlinson. There's snaps that have opened up. And who's going to claim them? We assume, kind of formulaically, Danny Shelton will play a role. But Danny Shelton's not going to play the same amount of snaps Dalvin Tomlinson played. Absolutely They're not, not foolish. They know that yeah. he can't play some some of the snaps that... He can't give them some of the production that Tomlinson did. So this does open the door for Hill. This does open the door for Johnson. Two players that I... Again, like when I watch this film, maybe because I'm a novice film watcher and I'm not at your level, Nick, but... These guys flash to me all the time, both of them, Johnson and Hill. They get, like, no snaps a game, and they're still making quick penetration. They're still shooting gaps. They're still, like, they look quick and explosive out there when I watch them on the All-22. And you know you get those two angles, right? You get the overhead angle, and then you get that second end zone view where you can really watch the line play. And I feel like that could also be the case here, that, like, you know, you don't, we don't, that one thing I would like more if Game Pass did this, and we can get into the, we don't need to get into Game Pass, which is, a disaster right now but one thing i would like that game pass did if they really got cool with it and really in depth with it and they started to give you the film the angle of like just the cornerback wide receiver matchup right so you could watch that specific matchup yeah. zoomed in on so you see the intricacies of that receiver getting in and out of his break off the line of scrimmage the footwork everything of that nature i would love to see an angle from just like right behind the safety right behind the deep half safeties like what are they looking at exactly and i know it's that you kind of get from the traditional all 22 coaches film angle but i would love it to be a little more zoomed in as well even then you can get it even more specifically what is the inside backer seeing right when the snap goes what is he reading what are the keys he's reading and how does he get in there so i would like to see more of that but one thing you do get to see is those line battles and again these guys are good players austin johnson and bj hill they really are better than it seems yeah i would have to uh agree with that i think they are both role players sure uh but i think they're a solid replacement for someone who I think is incredibly underrated in the NFL, Dalvin Tomlinson. He was one of the... I loved watching Dalvin Tomlinson. I don't think these guys will be anywhere near Dalvin Tomlinson, but I think you can replicate you know, 50-60% of what Dalvin Tomlinson was able to do with you with these two guys and still maintain the continuity of your defense. Yes, and I think you were one of the first people to nail the Dalvin Tomlinson hype, and rightfully so. Yeah, it was, it was obvious in 2017, and then yes. you saw it in 2018. You're like, dude, this guy is such a stud. All right, any other battles, or should we just wrap up there? I feel like we covered most of what I wanted to cover with the training camp battles, at least the ones I'm interested. Do you have anything else on your mind? No, I'm just looking forward to um, when these guys start hitting a little bit, and then we can really start uh, analyzing, breaking down some some practice videos from the uh, 
from the tweets from the beats yeah the tweets from the beats all right we'll wrap it up with this then since we don't have any new itunes reviews and questions from the listeners remember if you want to ask us a question or just talk to us about anything go on to itunes leave us a rating and review and in that review write out your question helps us in so much of a way and we'll get to all your questions there we don't have any this week wait dan i, I want to acknowledge something because i love okay first off everybody who's listening i love dan's takes i think dan has so many food takes and i don't mean i always agree with them but i just love the fact that dan has so many takes he's very opinionated and you released a take recently about some adult swim shows you want to you want to dive into that yes and i said by the way i caveated it with this is a potentially freezing cold take coming but the other night when i was working on the fantasy baseball newsletter late at night again i have to do these late at night Thank God I don't have those freaking guys working on my roof at 7 a.m. That would be infuriating. But I was watching Adult Swim in the background. First show up was Rick and Morty. I said in the tweet, it's the obvious goat show. I stand by that. I think it's the best cartoon ever made. And not only because some of the replies to this tweet were like, you're going to sit. Well, Adam Azer actually had a great tweet. uh, The the host of... um, CBS Sports Fantasy Football Today, a show that I'm now, you know, on a couple times a week, said, I think you should watch The Simpsons, South Park, and Family Guy before calling Rick and Marty. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but he might have. The GOAT. That's the best part of the tweet right there. That he called it Rick and Marty? Rick and Marty, yeah. It's an an Azer-type fake. I think he did it on purpose. But listen, I've watched those shows. I've watched South Park absolutely pick apart and destroy Family Guy with the Manatee episode. I'm a big fan of South Park. I think it is on that Rick and Morty level. I don't think it's the goat show. I think Rick and Morty is funnier. I think Rick and Morty is more creative. I think Rick and Morty is better written. And I think, I would say that better written and creative are debatable and subjective because South Park is so well written and South Park is so creative. But the animation I also like more in Rick and Morty. I just like that brand of humor more. And I like yeah, space, yeah. I like time and space and time travel stuff just a lot more than, I guess, you know. Satirical takes on what's going on sure. in the world. For me, like, I'm always like, dude, my, my You're AOL, the biggest South yeah, Park guy. My AOL username was South Park fan, 1735. <laughs> like, literally. Like, I love, I still love South Park. I, I think uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are just amazing but i do love rick and morty i know lot. you're a big yeah. fan i mean I, i'll never like if I, like, I don't even like you know break it like yes they're both animated cartoons but they're so different you know but uh yeah i love rick and morty but you want to get into uh well no i want to finish this because i'm saying like i love the episode of south park where they where they destroyed family guy they, they oh, yeah. basically said family guy was this and they nailed it it's a manatee in a swimming in a in a in a fish tank essentially and he just knocks one ball and it's like Ricky Martin, he knocks another ball, and it's like, 1917, and he knocks another ball, and it's like, and that's a Family Guy's entire brand of jokes is humor, it's just these dumb callbacks that have nothing to do with the story, that are easy to write, and that to me are just bad, it's just not well written, like, it's easy humor, it's easy, dumb yeah. humor. Matt and Trey literally, like, eviscerate. Like, they eviscerated Seth, 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 McFarlane. Seth McFarlane, like, takes a lot of, like, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with those guys. <laughs> but, like, honestly, like, like, Matt Stone and Trey yeah. Parker are such, like, perfectionists with the craft of comedy, <laughs> like that, that, like, they look at, like, Seth MacFarlane. and like no dude no what what you do is trash and i stand by that no dude but anyway then i said then came on robot chicken i like which i find wildly underrated like robot chicken had a scene that immediately made me laugh out loud i was barely paying attention there was a scene where it was like trying to remember it um so essentially it's like this guy who's not accepting any of the guy any of the men that his daughter is bringing back like to try to marry and finally he brings back she brings back frankenstein and so he's like all right this is fine like this will work and then finally he's like wait a second 
Frankenstein? You didn't tell me he was Jewish. Just <laughs> <laughs> little dumb jokes like that. So that I find dumb. So funny and actually not bad and like decently written. And then I was like, but now up, and this was the third show that was on, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And when I was a kid, when I was younger, everybody talked about how Aqua Teen Hunger Force was so funny. It's the greatest show. I never laugh. I never found it funny at all. Gave it another shot. Two episodes back to back the other night. Watched them both. Didn't laugh. It's just not funny. It's a bad show. It's, uh, yeah, I've never got into Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I have a couple friends who have. And I never really got into Robot Chicken. I thought they, like, me, I never really gave them the the shot that they may deserve. But just off, like, the first time watching them, I just did the Nick Blotto thing. I was like, nah. Like, <laughs> this isn't for me. And then I just never really gave them a shot after that. That's fair. But that's my take. You can let me know in the comments of iTunes or on my Twitter feed how stupid I am, how cold the take was. <laughs> I welcome it all. I like that kind of stuff. Anyway, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon.